Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, happy Friday and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis and we are yet again on day four of Speaker Watch in Washington, D.C. And all eyes are on Congress and the 20 members who say that they are never Kevin, uh, never Kevin McCarthy, of course. And they've put up a variety of alternate candidates and negotiations are ongoing on the Hill. And I want to get right to my first guest, which is Virginia GOP Congressman Bob Good, who is a member of the 20 and has said that he will not, under any circumstances, vote for Kevin McCarthy. So Congressman, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Good morning, Jenna. Great to be with you again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. You know, there have been a lot of questions and rumors, of course, surrounding what the 20 are doing, uh, whether or not there is a plan, how long this might continue. So what can you tell us about the negotiations and the motivation of the 20 that are standing firm saying no? Well, you're going to see the 12th vote, the 12th ballot today at noon. I certainly plan to vote against Kevin McCarthy again. Nothing has changed for me in that respect. I was one of the first to come out and vehemently say I was not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. I did that, I believe, on November 10. And Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, and I were probably the first three out of the gate to that effect, which when we did that in November, by the way, that was after starting to try to uh, persuade Kevin McCarthy to make changes, to tell us his vision, to change how Congress operates back in July when we believed we were going to take the majority. He was the most likely person to become speaker. We had great concerns about him becoming speaker, and I had been assessing him to that effect over my first two years in Congress. And of course, nothing changed my mind is evident by the fact of what I've said and what I've done and how I voted in these first 11 ballots that we've had. Uh, but I, but there's a group of 20, as you know, who've held strong through these first 11 ballots opposing Kevin McCarthy. I think you're going to continue to see that on this 12th ballot today. That said, it's been widely reported, and, and it's certainly my understanding with some of my colleagues have been involved in conversations uh, with representatives from those who are supporting Kevin McCarthy. And, and really, you've had two camps here among the 20. There have been some like myself who said, to, in order to bring true transformational change to Congress, that is dependent on the change to leadership, and we can't have uh, the person who represents the status quo, the failures of the past, to be that leader. I've certainly been openly in that camp. Uh, and, a, and a number of my colleagues are. There are others who've said that's that's important and that's their preference, and they are willing to try to force that and to take personal risk and to show courage, which is in short supply, as we know in Washington, to vote as they have for these last 11 ballots. But they've also been uh, under the belief that if you had substantive changes that we all recognize are needed to Congress with significant enforcement mechanisms, that there might be an ability to have those and end the process with those and not risk a lesser outcome, you know, with moderates, uh, you know, working with Democrats and some kind of a lesser outcome to elect a more moderate speaker, uh, which I don't believe would happen. That's why I'm in the, you know, hey, change the speaker camp. But I don't know how those numbers might shake out. We don't have a final product yet on what they have proposed or, or, or negotiated. 
Um, and I, but well, I'll tell you something, though, Jenna, that's been misrepresented widely in the, in, in the media, of course, and widely misrepresented dishonestly by the folks on them uh, supporting McCarthy. Uh, the, the folks involved with these 20 are not asking for things for themselves, committee assignments or preferential treatment or anything to that effect. They are asking for – we are all asking for and demanding substantive changes to how Congress operates, things like reinstating the accountability measure for the speaker, that we can hold the speaker accountable with a single member making a motion to vacate the chair and have a vote to validate whether or not the speaker should remain the speaker. It would take a majority of 218 votes to dis- depose him. It's, it's never happened in the history of the country. Only one time has it been offered by Mark Meadows several years ago, and, but it was in place for 200 years until uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi changed it. But more importantly, what are, what, are the, what are the things that we're asking for? We're asking to end, end these suspension bills. We're in an empty chamber. You have on a unanimous consent, you know, we pass massive pieces of, of legislation, spending you know, millions and sometimes billions of dollars, sometimes dozens of bills at a time in an empty chamber. We want recorded votes, of course. We also want to have a minimum amount of time to read legislation before we vote on it. You know, I, we've, you know three to five days, three, three full days, 72 hours at a minimum that we, we single-issue legislation. Instead of having multiple issues all jumbled into one bill, you know, we have single-issue bills, and that we allow amendments to those bills, which hasn't been allowed in six years in Congress. So you know, if you put forth a bill that's got ten good parts but one bad part, do we have to choke down the bad part because we don't want to vote against the nine good parts, or can we make an amendment to the one bad part to remove it or to change it? which forces those who want the bad part to have to justify and put their vote on record just for the bad part instead of justifying it based on the nine good parts. Uh, those kinds of things are truly necessary, requiring uh, us to have a vote on a balanced budget and to put forth a budget, uh, requiring a vote on term limits, uh, to end earmarks, or at least to make members have up or down votes on their earmarks on the House floor. Yeah. And so, Congressman, you know, I'm talking with Congressman Bob Good. All of this sounds so basic and all of this sounds like everything that the base and those of us who would call ourselves conservatives would love and would say this is common sense and this is all uh, something that's good. So what's the problem with the other 200 that are supporting McCarthy? Are they against these types of concessions or why has this been so uh, misrepresented and misreported? Well, there's a reason. Great question, Jenna. Great question. Uh, there's a reason why what we're doing right now, which is healthy and it's constructive and it's how it should happen in a constitutional republic, what we're doing is we're debating who should be the speaker and how should Congress operate. But the reason it hasn't happened in 100 years is because it takes courage and it takes a willingness to assume personal risk to effectuate change. And as we both know, that's in short supply in Washington. But some of us came here, answered the call, we're new in this Congress with a, with a determination to tr- do what we could with one vote to make transformational change. You know, the folks of the 5th District could give me 218 votes. I could get you a speaker like a Jim Jordan or, or an Andy Biggs or a Byron Donalds, those folks that I've been voting for, but they give me one vote. But we're trying to leverage the votes that we do have but it's, it's, it's risky, and, and, and the people up here don't like risk. But I'll tell you something. Unlike someone like yourself, some of the supposed conservative media friends who've called for courage in Congress and end the status quo and stand up and fight, now when you see members of Congress doing that, some of those supposed conservative media types and supposed friends have been attacking and criticizing us and parroting the talking points from McCarthy. Isn't but, it so, so there's, a, there's a reason why this hasn't happened for 100 years. Um, yeah. But to your point, 
the process of these last we started this six months ago with going to Kevin McCarthy, and we got blown off by him, quite frankly, because he thought he was going to have some huge majority. He didn't have to listen to us. Thank God for the narrow majority that we have because we have leverage that we've been able to use since November. So for two months now, we've been working with Republicans, threatening that we would not vote for Kevin McCarthy under the status quo, and some of us not at all, and some not with the status quo. And we've been working through this process where almost all members, I'm not going to say all members, but many have recognized, even those supporting McCarthy, hey, this is better. Congress is going to work better. We need these changes. We support these changes. So we're going to get a better outcome, hopefully, in my view, of course, with a stronger, better speaker as well. But we're going to get a better outcome. We'll see at noon today what those numbers look like, how they shake down, how many are still you know, with me on the we're not voting for Kevin Camp, how many are, once we they see that final negotiated changes. I don't want to say a deal because a deal sounds like, oh, I got something. This is for the country. This is for the Congress. And it's for all members to have a say in how this place operates, which is what the people elect us to do when they send us here. So it's for the country and for the Congress and for all members to make it better. But we, but some, some when they see that, may say, okay, this is enough. We've got enforcement mechanisms in place, some triggers and things. Nothing's perfect. Because you can't keep a future Congress from making changes. You can't keep the members from voting with the Speaker to waive the rules that we put in place. You can't make that, keep that from happening. But there will be better enforcement mechanisms in place to have a better opportunity for a desired outcome, hopefully with a, a change in Speaker, which is what I'm going to be voting for once again. Well, thank you, Congressman Bob Good, for standing up with courage, because you are so right that that is in such short supply in Washington. And it's fascinating as you highlight that the numbers here are why this is possible, because uh, and walk us through that a little bit of, of how that works with some of these people now, uh, Representative Sparts, who has just simply voted present and how that takes down the threshold uh, number of 218. But at the same time, you have Hakeem Jeffries, who is... Um, um, who is now at, I think, 212 as of the last vote. And so McCarthy here doesn't have a whole lot of room. He can't just have people vote present because if the threshold is lowered, then ultimately a Democrat may be elected as speaker, which isn't the outcome, of course, that anyone in the GOP conference wants. Yes, great points, all of those. And I want to give that shout out to Victoria Sparks for she has not been part of our group of it was 19 before her. And then she was willing to vote present to try to force an outcome. And what she wanted to have happen was for us to go back into conference and debate this and see if we come out unified behind a candidate or candidates and whether that meant Kevin McCarthy withdraws, which is what I've called for, or whatever that meant, instead of just keep on doing what we're doing and showed a lot of courage, took a lot of heat for doing that. So I, I certainly respect her for that. But you're right. The margins are very narrow. It's 222 Republicans with the, the sad passing away of Don McEachin, uh, 212 Dems, so 434 in the chamber right now. So it takes 218 to have a majority of the 434. To your point, the Dems have held strong with all 212 of them united voting against us, kind of enjoying watching the battle, if you will, but it's a healthy battle, it's a constructive battle. And so there's a very limited margin for error, to your point. Uh, Mr. McCarthy could win if he only had four vote against him, which would give him 218. He would have the majority that he needs. He can't have five vote against him. Um, so, but you're right. There are risks to the process because none of us can control or, or, or guarantee what others will or will not do. If you had some Democrats just not vote, for every two members who were going to vote no, 
for every two members who are going to vote no, who don't vote, it lowers by one the number of yes votes required to get to a majority. So if you had, for example, eight Democrats just not vote, so that number went from 212 to 204 for the Democrats, that would mathematically lower by four that now he would only need 214 instead of 218 you know, to get to a majority, for example. So uh, basically the denominator is every time it's lowered by two, <laughs> reduces the numerator by one that it takes for it to be a majority. So in the same way, that, you, know, you cannot guarantee that some Republicans and Democrats couldn't work together to effectuate an outcome. I've never believed that would happen because Democrats are not going to help elect a Republican speaker unless you made – that would be very risky. Could Kevin McCarthy go and make deals with Democrats in return for their votes? Could he do that? Or could I think moderate- people would hate him even more if he tried to do yeah, that. I so will not do that because of that. And then he would have us working against him for the remainder of the Congress, of course. So that I never have thought that was a reasonable risk. It's a technical risk, but it's not a reasonable risk. Really, what's going to happen, we're going to get a Republican speaker. It's either going to be Kevin McCarthy or it's not. I'm working, of course, to the, to the latter outcome. I don't believe he's the answer for that. But we're absolutely going to get a better product for Congress to operate in a more uh, – a fashion that uh, allows the input of regular members, allows greater accountability, allows greater transparency, deals with our fiscal issues in a better way, addresses many of the problems that have gotten us to where we are today. And and this process is part of why we have a constitutional republic, why we have a representative Congress. And so for the people who are saying, oh, no, it's been four days and we don't have a speaker and we have just about a minute left with you, Congressman Bob Good. Um, But, you know, these people who are saying, well, you're never Kevin. And so you're holding up democracy from functioning. Well, they seem to be only Kevin. And why aren't they being questioned as to their position instead of them being willing to compromise for leadership that everyone would follow and trust? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, your point, Jen, a great point, that it's been four days. How has the country been impacted by watching the uncomfortable situation, if you will, uh, maybe sometimes the painful, watching us deliberate and debate on the House floor as we're supposed to do? How has the country been impacted? Why should we be in a hurry to make a bad decision? If this took a week or two weeks, six months from now, is anybody going to care that it took a few extra days to get the Speaker right, to get the rules of the Congress right, to change how Congress operates? Most of what we do up here is bad anyway. So for four yep. days, we're working on trying to how to do it better. Isn't that a good thing? Absolutely. And it's actually great that we have debates. So Congressman Bob Good, thank you so much. Stand up with courage. I'm with you 100%. And we look forward to the outcome. Stay strong. Thanks so much. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. We'll be right back. American Family Radio listening family, this is Bible League International, and we've spent the last few weeks telling you about persecuted believers praying for Bibles to be able to endure and persevere in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We told you about Pastor Rusis, whose three sons were murdered by a terrorist group that hates Christians, but rather than retaliate with violence, they invited these people to learn about Jesus. 200 have come to Christ. They need Bibles in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And in the Middle East, Pastor Yusuf and a deacon in his church were kidnapped in broad daylight when the family could not 
pay the ransom. They kill the deacon. They torture Pastor Yusuf. But with conviction today, that brother can say it's an honor to suffer for the Lord. AFR listeners, you've given so generously in recent weeks so that 9,000 Bible is persecuted believers now have a Bible. Our goal is 16,000. So in this season of giving, at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20, will you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give it sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Justice Thomas is the most senior associate justice on the court and is the second African-American to serve on the court. Job 12.12 reminds us of the wisdom that comes with age and experience. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask you to grant wisdom and guidance to Justice Thomas, that he may continue to serve our country in the name of justice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Zion Brown's mother deserves to be named Mother of the Year. The other day, Chicago TV stations broadcast video of a terrible crime. A masked man held a train conductor at gunpoint demanding cash. Mrs. Brown saw the video and her jaw dropped. She knew the eyes peering behind the mask. It was her 18-year-old son, Zion, a sophomore at Loyola University. Her motherly instinct kicked in, but instead of protecting her son, she grabbed him by the ear and dragged him to the local police station. Zion's attorney said his client was hungry and wanted something to eat, so he pulled out his gun, took cash from the train conductor, got some food, and went back to class. The judge says that was not a reasonable defense and ordered him held without bail. No doubt a terrible moment for Mrs. Brown, but a reminder that sometimes the most effective kind of love is tough love. Be sure to download a copy of my new book, Our Daily Biscuit, Devotions with a Drawl. It's available at your favorite bookstore or online at toddsterns.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. When Donald Trump was president, taxes were cut, regulations were slashed, energy was abundant, wages were rising, and the economy was roaring. So I nominate President Trump because we must make our country great again, and he can start by making the House of Representatives great again. That was, of course, Representative Matt Gates, who nominated President Donald Trump for Speaker of the House yesterday. And so the top story this morning, of course, is that Kevin McCarthy's speakership bid failed for the 11th time. The House will reconvene at noon after the latest concessions failed to win over Republican hardliners. I just interviewed Congressman Bob Good. If you are just joining us, good morning and happy Friday. And you can always listen to the interviews and the replay of this show at AFR 
Jennaellisinthemorning.net and you can click on the uh, show link to Jenna Ellis in the morning and uh, listen to all of the week's shows and the great interviews and uh, callers that we have. So what's going to happen on Capitol Hill? Well, you know, it's it could go on uh, much later than today, but with reconvening at noon, we'll see if anything has happened, if the needle has been moved, and if these 20 who are standing firm saying, no, we will not vote for Kevin McCarthy and just assent to the establishment pick, we actually want some changes to be effectuated in Congress. Um, Congressman Bob Good, who was just on in the last segment, had really some common sense points in saying this isn't personal. It's not something that uh, you know we're looking for media attention or um, you know any of these things that, of course, the mainstream media and the uh, pro Kevin McCarthy 200 are uh, suggesting. And he is saying, Congressman Bob Good is saying that all of this is being misreported. It's about bringing necessary change to Congress. So I want to get your thoughts and comments. You can call in at 888-589-8840. The phone lines are open uh, today. That's 888-589-8840. Some other top headlines for you this morning. Buffalo Bills' DeMar Hamlin is awake and with his family in the hospital. Uh, For all of you who saw that NFL play and uh, have been following this story with just um, a wonderful young man who uh, reports have said how much he loves the Lord, he loves his family. Um, This is not only such great news for him and for his family and for the Buffalo Bills, but I was also very struck by the scene of all of the players who knelt on the field to pray. Um, This is one of those moments that uh, we have seen how when tragedy strikes or things are outside of our control, then the natural reaction of human beings is to turn to the Lord and pray. And that is a wonderful testament to the truth that is within all of our hearts that we know that the Lord our God is sovereign. And even if you remember uh, the Coach Kennedy case that the uh, that our friends at First Liberty Foundation brought to the U.S. Supreme Court, and um, that case was argued and decided last year about the high school football coach who, after the game, simply knelt on the 50-yard line in a moment of silent prayer, and he was fired over it. And he uh, ultimately won that case. And that is not, of course, in any way, shape or form, a quote unquote establishment of religion um, and antithetical to the U.S. Constitution or anything like that, just because it was a public school. And so when you have something like this happen with the Buffalo Bills and you have an anchor on a major sports network that actually takes a moment to pray. That is a wonderful testament to truly how we all as Americans understand that the Lord our God is sovereign. He is there, he is listening, and he is not silent. So another top story this morning, uh, Biden says that his border plan is late because, quote, Republicans haven't been serious about this at all. So speaking at the White House on Thursday, Biden conceded his plan will not completely solve the issues at the southern border, but it'll be a step in the right direction. So, of course, uh, we all know that Joe Biden is really not interested in securing the border. Democrats have not made that a priority. And Republicans, of course, when they do ultimately get a Speaker of the House, should make border control a priority, but should not do that under 
a COVID or any other pretext. We always want to make sure that we are faithful to the U.S. Constitution and we are also faithful to the process of the rule of law. We can't have these fictitious pretexts of COVID or anything else to have the outcome we prefer. We should be utilizing the separated and limited powers of each branch of government to effectuate the best outcome to ultimately preserve and protect our rights that our founders recognized are God-given. That is the purpose. That is the purpose of Congress So, um, and our government as a whole. So um, also the other top story this morning that I want to get to before we go to some of our callers is that uh, Representative Byron Donalds responds to Cori Bush's race-fueled attack. If you saw this in the midst of this speaker battle, uh, the profile for Representative uh, Byron Donalds, according to Town Hall, uh, quote, has certainly picked up in recent days as he has emerged as an alternative to Representative Kevin McCarthy for Speaker, to squad member Representative Cory Bush, who is a Democrat. However, Donald's nomination is only, quote, not progress. It's pathetic, she tweeted. And she also tweeted that Donald's is, quote, unquote, a prop. The congressman, after having been called out and tagged on Twitter, has since responded to those charges. And there was a a great response as well from Representative Bishop on the racist tweet about Representative Donald's. Listen to this. Last night, I sat within feet of Mr. Donald's as the tweet of another member-elect appeared on the screen. That member-elect wrote and sent out to America that Byron Donalds is a prop. I've spent a good bit of time with Mr. Donalds, especially lately. He ain't no prop. And if he were a prop, he wouldn't be sitting where he's sitting. This is the tired, old, grotesquely racist rhetoric that we've seen far too long. Well said from Representative Bishop, and you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning, and good morning and happy Friday. So, of, of course, he said that so well and so eloquently. And can you imagine if this was a Republican that had tweeted that a black Democrat were simply a prop? they would be canceled immediately. And so what the Democrats are doing is they are always hypocritical. I always like to say that if Democrats didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. They will always use any sort of rhetoric, no matter if it's truly racist, like what Cori Bush tweeted, or whether it's truly uh, something that is wrong or is evil, they don't care. They will simply push their power to get to their preferred outcome. They don't care if it's unconstitutional. They don't care. Remember, this is the party that supports state-funded baby killing and abortion on demand for a party that their primary platform is abortion at any stage, even sometimes after birth. If they are for murdering children, 
then of course they're going to be racist. Of course they are going to use all kinds of rhetoric. And of course there's nothing that they won't stoop to because that is their worldview. Their worldview is only power and outcome over principle and ethic and morality. And so I'm very glad to see that the Republicans pushed back on that. But Republicans need to go further. Conservatives need to go further and say, not only are we pushing back against the Democrats' Uh, hypocrisy and their lack of principles, but we aren't going to be offended or change our truthful rhetoric just because the Democrats falsely malign us by saying that we are racist or bigoted or homophobic or any of those other lies. We can and we must speak truth and love. And if we don't assent to a sinful lifestyle, of the LGBT agenda or any of these uh, transmutilation surgeries on adults or especially minors, that is truth that we can speak. And if we are called homophobic or, you know, all these other terms that don't even apply, who cares? I am no stranger at all to the hate and the name calling and all kinds of things and threats on social media platforms. And I don't care because my calling, your calling as a Christian in our daily lives, regardless of your platform, your circle of influence, or your job is to ultimately speak truth and make sure we are doing it in love, but true love requires truth. So the last couple of headlines this morning for you is that gun sales reached a record number with 16.4 million in 2022. According to the Washington Examiner, gun sales have crossed into new and historic territory, averaging over 6 million sold annually as buyers who are concerned about violent crime arm up. So I'm a huge advocate of our Second Amendment, but we also have to make sure we as conservatives understand our Second Amendment in context. A lot of people have suggested that if the Supreme Court or, uh, you know, ultimately uh, anyone in government were to repeal our Second Amendment, then our right to keep and bear arms would go away. Well, that's actually not true. I like to call our Bill of Rights, which is the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, as simply a redundancy protection. All those amendments are doing is telling Congress and the federal government what they can't do. Of course, with the ratification of the 14th Amendment, then we have the uh, incorporation doctrine, which takes those uh, protections that are enumerated in our Bill of Rights and applies them to the states as well, so that the states cannot abridge our freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, our right to keep and bear arms, among all of the other rights that we enjoy. But let's not forget that our rights as our founders recognized come from God, our creator, not our government. And so our government has specific limited powers only for the purpose of preserving and protecting those rights. So if a right that is God given is not specifically enumerated in the Constitution, that doesn't mean that we don't have it. And even if the right to keep and bear arms was somehow in the future not enumerated in our Constitution, it doesn't mean that that right would go away at all. So I am a huge advocate for the Second Amendment, for our right to keep and bear arms, and for all of the rights that we enjoy that are God-given. And speaking of the rights that are God-given that we enjoy, a South Carolina Supreme Court strikes down six-week abortion ban. So we're talking about the right to life, of course. And so the South Carolina Supreme Court struck down Thursday a ban on abortion after cardiac activity is detected. So of course, a heartbeat 
heartbeat bill, ruling, according to CBS, that the restriction violates the state's constitution's right to privacy. So this decision comes nearly two years after Republican Governor Henry McMaster signed the measure into law. So the ban, which included exceptions for pregnancies caused by rape or incest or pregnancies that endangered the patient's life, drew lawsuits almost immediately, of course, from the Democrats. And since then, legal challenges have made their way through both state and federal courts. So according to the National Review, they said the state's privacy clause enshrines the right to, quote, be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures, and unreasonable invasions of privacy shall not be violated. So let's talk about this real quickly in context of what that actually means. So a right to privacy was, of course, the pretext originally for Roe versus Wade and its, pro- uh, its progeny to say that a right to privacy covers some abortions in some circumstances. But if we're correctly defining what an abortion is, it is a medical intervention specifically designed to cause the death of a child. There is no right to privacy that would cover that type of crime any more than a right to privacy would cover the ability for child abuse to take place in the home or assault or abuse against one spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend to take place inside the home. The right to privacy does not cover the right to harm another individual. And so when you look at this type of pretext, that's what often the Democrats and even unfortunately some of the Republicans use are these pretexts to say we're going to use this right to privacy in a way that is absolutely unconstitutional, was not meant by the original language and purpose of the law or of the uh, constitutional amendment or of the protection or of the right, but we're going to apply it and manipulate it in a different way so that we can get the outcome we prefer. As pro-life conservatives and as Christians, we need to push back against that. The Dobbs decision was wonderful to say that uh, abortion regulation must be given constitutionally to the states. There is never a uh, any sort of uh, ability of the federal government to regulate questions of abortion or of health care in general. Notice that the Democrats often put abortion into the health care category. It's not health care. We all know that. Again, that is a pretext. But health care, even as an entire subject matter, is not given to the federal government. You can look at Article 1, Section 8. Those are the specific enumerated subject matters that are given to Congress, uh, to the federal government that they can legislate on. The Ninth and Tenth Amendment says any specific powers not given to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. That's really important as well. We the people have some rights and some powers that we can exercise like choice in parenting and education and faith and all kinds of things that even the state government doesn't have the power to regulate. So we need to make sure that we are always looking at this constitutionally and from a biblical perspective. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. We'll be right back with your phone calls. Find peace in God's Word in Nahum 1-3. 
The Lord has His way in the whirlwind. Frequently in life, we find ourselves in a whirlwind, don't we? Really, the wording means His way prevails even over above the storms of the whirlwind. God is in control. He has His way even above the noise of the storm. Don't miss Exploring the Word with Dr. Alex McFarland weekdays at 3 p.m. Central on AFR or catch up with the podcast at AFR.net. You've got Christians who love Jesus and they have kids and they're just like, I just don't know what my calling is. Right. Will and Mickey Addison. What is it that Jesus wants me to do? I feel like I'm a teacher. And that's why why when you... Go to the scripture and talk about yeah. equipping the saints for work of ministry. Come on. You should look inside first. It can exactly. be right, you know, at your address. Marriage, family, and the church. That's the focus of airing the Addisons. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Rejoice with those who rejoice. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Michael, a five-year-old boy, showed up at the courthouse in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for an adoption hearing with his foster parents and he had a crowd of unusual supporters. Michael's entire kindergarten class sat in the audience behind him, waving big red hearts mounted on wooden sticks to show their support. The kindergartners offered the most touching answers, standing up and telling the court, I love Michael, or Michael's my best friend. Michael's new father and mother had been married nearly 10 years, and he'd been living with them as a foster child for more than a year. Adoption truly is at the heart of the gospel. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. In this new world, on this new day, we rejoice that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Preborn has been preparing for this moment for the past 16 years by positioning their clinics in the top six abortion states where 50% of abortions occur. Sadly, five of these six states will continue to abort babies at an even greater level. And since the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of abortions, babies are even more at risk. Preborn pregnancy clinics are completely dependent on you as they offer life-saving ultrasounds and the life-saving gospel to moms and babies in crisis. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis and taking your calls at 888-589-8840. So if you missed the last two segments, we've had a rundown of a lot of the headlines and also Congressman Bob Good, who is one of the 20 that has opposed Kevin McCarthy without Uh, some concessions to make Congress and the leadership and the rules package better. Uh, He joined me the first segment on the program, so you can always go back and listen at AFR.net. So let's go to David in Iowa. David, welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning, and happy Friday. Hi, David. Oh, hi, Jenna. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, I just want to say... I just want to say it's so refreshing um, 
that Sandy passed the baton off to, uh, to another winner. And um, you're running a great race. I, I really appreciate um, your uh, your wisdom and your uh, insight into government, especially for guys like me um, trying to make sense of it all uh, as a layman. So I want to say that you. at first. And that Congressman um, uh, Bob Good, wow, that guy, um, you know, I want uh, 400 of those guys in Congress. I mean, that's exactly what we need, people that are willing to stand up and um, and at least get a budget back. Get get the basic things that Congress is supposed to do for us that that's, we're spending. We're talking trillions now, not billions anymore. We're talking trillions being spent. That blows my mind. That's just incomprehensible. But at any rate, I just want to say that. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, David, and God bless. And I really appreciate uh, everyone who has called in this week uh, for the first week of Jenna Ellis in the morning and have uh, just really encouraged me because I know that all of you uh, love Sandy as much as I do. Um, She's a good friend as well, and so uh, filling her shoes is uh, is a challenge, of course, but it's also really uh, a great uh, a great uh, start to the new year. And I'm so thankful to um, to be following in her footsteps and joining you every morning. Um, but David, I agree as far as the comment on uh, Congressman Bob Good. He, I'm a new fan of his um, in terms of everything that he said this morning. I also wish that there were more members of Congress like him that simply stood up for what's right and had courage. And you know. I have been no stranger to all of the headlines that will slam me over various things, try to destroy my credibility simply because I had the audacity as a lawyer to represent Donald Trump and work for his reelection campaign because, oh, how shocking that is. And so when you look at what it takes to have courage in Washington, so often people don't stand up because they don't want to face the mainstream media. They don't want to face uh, those character attacks. They don't want to have to defend their credibility. We as Christians and um, especially those in elected office on both the federal and local level have to stand up with courage. And when you have people uh, like Representative Bob Good and now um, the 20 that hopefully will be more as of noon today, then um, courage begets courage. And more people will stand up with courage when they see their colleagues doing likewise. So remember that in your spheres of influence as well. If you have courage to stand up and speak truth, you never know who you're encouraging. So let's go to Jeffrey from Texas. Uh, Jeffrey, good morning and happy Friday. Good morning. I want to thank you for everything that you're doing. The, the most important part is educating. I am so proud of this 20th standing. It's just like those of us who are standing on school boards, our own local Republican Party county elections processes that we go through. This is exactly what we go through at the local level, and it happens at the national level. I'm, yeah, I'm that's amazed a, that's a great point. of the 20. Yes, that is a great point, Jeffrey. And, you know, we aren't alone in supporting the 20, and it may only be 10% right now against the 90, and there have been, you know, so much rhetoric from mainstream media, again, who are supporting the establishment. There's a lot of so-called conservative hosts out there who are supporting McCarthy uh, because they're supporting the establishment or who knows what other reasons. But if you look at what the 
average common sense American and conservative voter across the country wants. There have been a few polls that, um, you know, of course, Twitter is only um, as good as the polls. But I actually started one yesterday. Um, So in about 12 hours, this had almost 15,000 votes. And this is, of course, from all across the country. Anyone who's registered on Twitter can vote in this poll. And I asked, which do you care more about? A speaker elected quickly or the best speaker elected? And the results after almost 15,000 votes, 98% said best speaker elected. We the people want people in Washington and, Jeffrey, as you mentioned, on the state and local level, we want people who will stand up with courage and advocate for our best interests and our rights. And imagine if the 200 understood that and lived it, how much we could change this country if we just had a few people who would stand up in their elected office and say, enough is enough. Let's take back our country for our U.S. Constitution. All right, let's go to Kelly in Arkansas. Kelly, thanks so much for calling and happy Friday. Hi, Kelly. Hello, I just, I don't understand this tactic. I know you uh, have your beliefs and, and you're strong in them, but who is the best man to unite the House and lead the House to accomplish common goals? Uh, I mean, I admire your ultra conservatism, but is that going? Is it going to work? I mean, who? If you're not going to put McCarthy in, who would be the best man or woman to be a good speaker, a good leader? Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly, and I think that's exactly what uh, the caucuses and and the different um, you know now camps, if you will, are discussing. And, and they have put forward the twenty have put forward several. Uh, consensus candidates. Of course, you know, Jim Jordan has said he doesn't want to be Speaker of the House. Um, but that to me actually just further uh, shows why he should be uh, in a leadership position because people who don't want power and they understand their role and, re- and responsibilities are exactly the people you do want in government. But I also really want him on uh, the Judiciary Committee because I want him to be able to cross examine and do all of those things that he is so good at. Um, my personal pick. If I had a vote and if I was uh, able to to talk to all of these, would uh, would be Representative Mike Johnson. Um, full disclosure, he's a very good friend of mine, um, and I met him when I was working for President Trump. Actually, my first day on the job, um, if you can believe that. And uh, he is a solid, solid Christian. Um, he is in leadership right now. You've probably seen him on interviews. He is a congressman from Louisiana. He understands the U.S. Constitution, and he understands it from a truthful, biblical perspective. He is someone who can uh, get consensus, can get work done. He is often behind the scenes because he views Congress as a team sport, and he says that all the time. So my personal pick would be Mike Johnson. Um, His name has not yet come up, at least in the open votes. Um, I'm sure that there are discussions of all kinds of people. Um, But who truly can be a consensus candidate? I think Mike Johnson has the respect of all of his colleagues in Congress, and um, I think he could actually win. 
And I think that Byron uh, Donalds would be an excellent choice. I also think that Steve Scalise would be a consensus candidate. If you remember last time uh, during, you know, all of the the speaker um, process and the thoughts of, of who would get there, he was even offered as a consensus candidate. So um, I think he would do a great job. But the point here is, why are we assuming that Kevin McCarthy is the only one that is qualified or competent just because he has been the GOP leader for the time that Nancy Pelosi has been in office. And, you know, he's been there in terms of longevity. This isn't a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so for all of these people are uh, who are only Kevin, I would love to ask them this question. Why only Kevin? Who else among all, you know, 435 members do you think would also be just as competent and capable of leadership. And I guarantee you, out of the 400 plus, there are many people who could lead with consensus. So I think that these conversations, and in fact, I know these conversations are happening. My sources on the Hill are saying that a number of names are being floated. Again, uh, Mike Johnson from Louisiana, if you're not following him and you are on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, etc., I would encourage you to follow uh, Mike Johnson. He also has a podcast that I think is really great. We'll definitely get him on this show uh, at some point. But good question, Kelly. Uh, let's go to Bill from Iowa. I know you've been holding on the line a while. So Bill, happy Friday. Hi, Bill. Is this, is, am I on? You are. Good morning. Oh, hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for calling. Yeah, one question. Yeah, one question here. Why are only 20 members of Congress in the House Freedom Caucus? Uh, this, this, uh, people are, people, all these people should be in the House Freedom Caucus for what they stand for. Just ask them uh, uh, all the things uh, that just ask them. Why aren't they not on there? And uh, the maybe I'm wrong on some of these things, but my mind explodes at times. I got so many things going. Frank Gaffney last night um, uh, had a person on there that was close to McCarthy on his uh, uh, runabout through the uh, years. And uh, from what he said, you don't want Kevin McCarthy at all. He is, I agree. He is not a good one. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, there that's a great point that more members should be in the Freedom Caucus. I love the Freedom Caucus, what it stands for. Um, you know, my good friend Mark Meadows was one of uh, the co-founders, and they have advanced um, a lot of really great uh, principled legislation. And so that's a good question. And if you are listening and you, uh, your own personal member of Congress that represents you is not part of the Freedom Freedom Caucus, then that is a great question for them. Call their office and ask them that question. Um, You know, so often we only see our legislators and our members of Congress and even on the uh, state and local level on television or through their press office, but they represent us and they should know our names as much as we know theirs. And so you can contact their office. You can ask those questions. And, um, you know, I've been told by members of Congress all the way down to, you know, my local um, state legislators in Colorado that if they hear from, you know, even a few people on the same issue, they think, okay, this represents a lot more people. These are just the people who care enough to call in. But if they hear from 100 people 
then they really stand up and take notice. So be one of the 100. Call in and contact their office and ask them those questions. Ask them why are they supporting Kevin McCarthy? Or if they're one of the 20, encourage them. Tell them thank you for standing up with courage. Um, Often they don't get thanks when they're actually doing the things that we're very, very happy with. So I would encourage you, contact your members of Congress, ask these questions, give them encouragement, let them know your name and how you want to be represented on Capitol Hill. All right, let's go to Don in Illinois. Uh, Don, thanks so much for calling and happy Friday. Thank you, Jenna. I think you just answered the question. The reason that... uh that we don't have more than 20 is because of the other 200, which is included as my representative. They're not bad people, but they're representing self instead of the people that they're supposed to represent. Uh, they're more worried about getting reelected, which is the problem with the system we've got. McCarthy and the leadership controls the money, so none of them have the courage to resist what he's doing. Right. And anybody that's been paying attention, he's not leading the, the group in the direction we need to go, so... For those that want to get behind a strong leader, that's what we need is a strong leader to take us all on over the cliff. We're right at the edge now. Yes. Well so, said, Don. And, people, you know, absolutely, we need to make sure that we are encouraging the 20 and we are encouraging more people to join the 20. So let's go to uh, Bobby out of uh, Arkansas. Uh, Bobby, you said you want to thank the 20. So, uh, Bobby, welcome and happy Friday. Thank you, Jenna. You know, from time to time, I drive around my old hometown, and I see the the closed-up businesses, the boarded-up factories, all due to the rhino and Democrat trade deals from Daddy Bush on down to now. And it is so refreshing to see 20 people stand up and have the backbone to finally say no to that. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those 20. And thank you, Jenna. Thank you for that, Bobby. And, you know, I want to take that that clip. I'll ask my producer to get that after the program and put that out on social media because, you know, there's uh, there have been so many people in Washington who have said in the last four days that, you know, regular average Americans don't care about the speaker. They just want, um, you know, inflation to go down, the border to be protected. Well, of course we do. Of course we want all of that. But we do care about the speaker. And exactly what you said, Bobby, is I think um, reflective of what a lot of Americans across the country, a lot of patriotic conservatives know and believe and are thankful that the 20 are standing up for. So we are already out of time. Thanks so much to all of the other callers. We will get to your phone calls next week. Thank you all so much for uh, how much you have encouraged me here on my first week on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Have a wonderful, great God-filled weekend, and I will see you on Monday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.